Hello and welcome to Growing Tech Fast, the Org 3D podcast. We speak with people from the tech startup space about their experiences, journeys, and the things they've learned along the way. I'm delighted to be joined today by experienced revenue leader, Pat Williams. Pat, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hey, Adam, thank you for having me. No worries, good, good, good to have you, uh, have you on board. So Pat, for the benefit of our listeners, can you give uh, a quick introduction to who you are and, and what you're currently doing? Yeah, so uh, who, who am I? Uh, I have uh, been a CRO for a number of uh, B2B technology startup companies. Um, typically when they've been in the stages of uh, coming across what I call product market fit, and then uh, I come in and help them to understand how do they go about putting together a go-to-market plan such that they can start to convert that market demand into revenue. And then how do you go about scaling your team in order to meet the uh, market demand and grow those revenues? So that's a little bit about kind of what my role has been as a CRO. And then uh, currently I am uh, doing some consulting for some uh, interesting companies out there and helping them with that whole process of you know, mm -hmm. transitioning their company to be more, I'll call it solving for the customer as opposed to being a product-driven organization. Okay, excellent, great. And so you, you, you've grown the revenue generating function for a number of startups now, um, including yeah. several, I believe, that have gone through acquisition. So yeah. I guess, how do you go about walking into a tech business and getting them set up for the best chance of success? I mean, it's uh, probably yeah, the mind so, how, how do you do that? How do you approach that challenge? There, yeah, so there's there's kind of a, some foundational things that uh, when I'm going through the process of evaluating whether I uh, elect to you know become part of the organization or uh, help an organization that's uh, you know trying to figure out their go to market, which is um, there's kind of a series of questions that I try to ask myself and I ask the leadership team and the companies and the boards and and the like. And it's really kind of boils down to, you know, about five questions. And then I try to understand some things about the company itself. And mm. so, um, so the, the, the types of things that I want to understand about the company that I think are good indicators as to whether or not they're going to have a, the ability to be successful or not, or have a higher probability to be successful mm. is one, um, I always ask everybody, it's like, what is the business problem you solve or what's the market opportunity that you're helping to enable for them? Because that's the, in the B2B world, and I'm not an expert in B2C, but in the B2B world, that is just fundamental as to why or why they wouldn't want to engage with you, right? Mm. And then, the, then a couple other things that you need to understand about um, the customers is who is it that cares about that or who owns mm. that, whether sure. it's the problem or it's the process. And then is it important or consequential to do anything about it versus just doing business as usual or do nothing because in many mm. cases that um, for a lot of companies doing nothing is an alternative that they would consider because of the risk or whatever it happens to be. And so, then you need to understand about your company. Uh, what is it that you're doing that is unique that addresses that relative to all mm. the other alternatives. And one of the things that technology companies sometimes get a little bit, you know, back themselves into a corner is that they think that, the only other alternatives or competitors to solve the business problem is another technology. And in fact, that's not always the case. 
So mm. that's just something that you need to be aware of when you're evaluating the company as to their ability to be successful. Mm. And then the, the last thing is always the, you know, the timing issue. Why now? Why is it important now for them to do anything about it? So mm. if you can get a good sense of those, you know, uh, I'll call it aspects of the company or what they're trying to accomplish, Mm. Then you ask, ask yourself the question or you want to, you know, understand the organization from the perspective of how do you align it from the, from the standpoint of one, are they a very customer, you know, focused kind of organization? And so how do you understand that, right? That mm. can be understand by looking at, you know, what their retention rates are or what mm. their long-term value of their customers are, what their, um, I'll call mm. it ability to expand customers, um, existing mm -hmm. customers and things like that. So that's usually a good indicator of, you know, are they a customer focused organization? Um, the other aspect that's a really, really important one that I learned because of the first four, you know, technology startups that I was a part of, we weren't successful. And it, was, it wasn't because we didn't have great technology. We actually had probably some of the best technology, however, what you see happen with a lot of companies in the tech world is that once they've attained some level of product market fit, they become extremely sales and marketing driven. Because mm. if somebody doesn't know that you've got a really wonderful solution that can solve their problem for them, it really doesn't matter. I call it the, it's the paradigm of you have the technology in search of a problem. And so this idea of being sales and marketing driven is a really, really important stage in a company's transformation. Mm -hmm. And the way that you can tell whether the company is actually doing that or is ready to do that is you go ahead and you look into their financials and you see what percentage of their operating expenses they mm -hmm. are spending on just sales and marketing. And sure. if you look in any of the public companies in the US, you know, you'll see SaaS companies and things like that. And typically, the really, really successful companies are spending north of 50% of their operating expenses in just sales mm. and marketing. So, okay. and then the last thing is this idea of what I call organizational enablement. And um, because most companies, you know, if you can go out and find really, really talented people and put them in the right, uh, you know, roles uh, and enable them to be successful, then you, your company will be successful as well. So there you go. Those okay. are all the things that I kind of take into consideration when I'm coming into a new company. Okay. So, or, or, you know, so many tech startups out there, they have the, these big ambitions um, yeah. of, of growing, of, you know, having an IPO, whatever it is. Um, very few actually get there. So yeah. where, where do you think amongst all that, where, where do most get it wrong or maybe don't do it as well? Um, where, where do you think that sometimes falls down for a lot of companies? I think where that falls down for a lot of tech startups now in particular is that they, they kind of fall in love with their product and what their product is and its features and its functions mm. and things like that. And what I was saying before, where if you're, if you're not able to um, somehow be able to communicate or convey to whoever it is you think is your customer or your target customers and things like that, mm. um, it becomes really difficult for them to make the translation or the linkage between what your stuff is and mm. how it helps them. Mm. And that is the one thing that, you know, I used, uh, or I didn't use, but I, I mentioned before that, you know, I was part of some startups that had some really awesome technology, right? Probably the best technology mm. for their particular market segment. Mm. 
but it's there's kind of a thing that I've learned over the years is that best technology rarely wins in the startup world, right? The ones that win are the ones that are able to make that linkage between what the customer's problems are, the business problems they're trying to solve at a high level, and how it is that they solve for that. As I use the term, solve for the customer, as opposed to you're sitting here solving for product market fit. Product market fit is important when you're kind of going through that stage of the innovative type of customers and or the um, you know early adopter type of customers and things like that but mm -hmm. once you get you know to product market fit then it becomes a case of how are you solving for the customer and then that way mm -hmm. you'll get much more rapid adoption and mm -hmm. thus more revenues okay okay and so how, how have you seen then I guess you know customer success as a, as a, as a function um, that's something that we certainly see, um, you know, more of a need from, from our clients for, whereas five yeah. years ago, it's all about get me the best new business salespeople, whereas now <laughs> we still have that, but it's, yeah. it's about customer success now. How have you seen that that function evolve and grow? Because that's been around for a while, right? Customer success oh, yeah. isn't a new thing, but I feel like it's, um, I certainly see it more uh, now than, than maybe five, five years or so ago. Yeah, well, so, if you kind of think about the um, the way that the whole, I'll call it the customer life cycle has evolved, mm. right? We now have broken it down into mm. there's the buyer's journey and then mm. there's the customer experience, right? And so mm. that's the, the buyer's journey is what people were typically focused on, which is how, how does a customer go about, you know, becoming aware and then doing the evaluation and decision making mm. to become a customer, right? To be a new mm. customer. But what we've learned, especially with a lot of these, you know, recurring revenue type of business models, call it SaaS, call it whatever, your subscription, mm. call it what you want to call it. Um, but what we've learned is that it's becoming as, as if you have to consistently re-win your customer because they have a choice. If they decide to discontinue their subscription or their you know, service with you, um, you know, that's not a good thing, right? It's not like in mm. the old days when you used to sell them a product, whether it was a software product or a hardware product mm. or whatever, and they kind of own it now, right? Yeah. So there's this idea of you have to con consistently keep re-winning the customer. Well, once they become a customer, that whole transition into, you know, whether it's deploying whatever it is that they bought from you mm. or their, you know, the adoption of whatever it is they bought from you or, and or the mm. ongoing, you know, satisfaction, are you meeting their needs or whatever it was your claims were that you were going to provide mm -hmm. to them, were you able to do that? And that's why the customer success function has become mm -hmm. so, so critical, right? Mm -hmm. It's this ability to take all these, you know, I'll call it promises and or, you know, business objectives that you claim that you were going to mm -hmm. be able to help them solve and then make that, you know, kind of come mm -hmm. to life in their organization. And so, mm -hmm. It's not just the, you know, the days of when customer support was kind of, I call it break fix, right? I'm having a problem with this. Can you help me, mm. you know, fix this? Or can you help yeah. me so that I can actually make this work the way I want it to? Mm. Now it's more about talking about high level business objectives mm. and making the linkage between what it is that your product is doing and mm. then how it's supporting that, you know, higher level business objective. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah. And so you, you must have, walked into a fair few businesses before um, and spotted quite a few things that that need maybe fixing or improving uh, yeah. and maybe some you know whole, wholesale changes need to be made in order to, to, to be more successful and, and to grow faster yeah. so 
how do you approach that um, and make a huge shift in a dynamic of the company without, without pissing people off, basically? <laughs> how do you do that and, uh, um, and communicate that internally um, to, to get the positive outcome that you're after? Well, I think that, um, you know, when you first come into an organization, right, they've got the norms or the things that they seem, you know, that they think are going to be the things that will get them to the promised land, so to speak, mm. right? But, mm. but usually when companies, you know, especially at the executive level, you know, there's the, or the mm. board or whoever it is that are thinking about bringing in a CRO or a sales mm. leader or whatever it happens, you know, customer leader, whatever mm. it happens to be, right? They know that they're starting to kind of, you know, top off in terms mm. of the ability of the company to, you know, continue to grow at the rate that they want to grow at. And mm. So, um, so whenever I come into, you know, whatever organization that I've uh, come into, um, I typically start by doing a lot of question asking and um, try to understand mm. Literally, the questions that I was asking you before, I literally go around to each of the functions and the executives mm. who lead each of the functions in the organization, whether it's R&D, mm. whether it's you know marketing, whatever it mm. happens to be, uh, and finance, etc. Mm. And I will start asking them, you know, well, so I said, so you know, you've got all these wonderful things that you're doing with your product, and you know, it's got all these great features and capabilities. I said, but and there's a question that I ask everybody, which is this idea. I said, so 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 what? You know, like who cares about that or why do they care mm. about that? And I try to, you know, I'll say change the mindset a little bit. It's the so what and who cares, you know, because if, mm. if you're able to articulate that to your broader, you know, customers mm. and or your target, you know, um, prospects and that sort of thing, um, mm. you're going to have a heck of a lot more success in terms of getting traction with the particular, mm. you know, in the market itself or the customer. Mm. And okay. so by asking that question, and that what is kind of is a catalyst for then talking about what I have learned that is the keys to a company having building a great company and having success, mm. right, which I went mm. through with you before. And, it, and what I typically have noticed is that this idea of how do you create alignment amongst all these different functions such that you all are flying to the same destination. Mm. And so that's how you kind of break down the, I'll call it the people that are either pissed off that you're coming mm. in to try to change their world and or get them to start to rally behind each other in a line sure. so that we, we basically try to make sure that everybody is anchored to similar revenue goals because revenue mm. is the ultimate judge of mm. the company in terms of its ability to convert market demand into sales and or, mm. you know, uh, dollars that they're going to be taking into their organization mm. and growing. Mm. And if you, when you when you start to go through that process of saying, okay, well, if our if our new revenue goal is this, or our expansion revenue goal is this, or our retention revenue goals are this, everybody mm. then understands how their mm. role supports sure. that. And that's how you kind of get around some of the I'll mm. call it the fiefdom or you know having the silos of you know, well, why is it you're trying to change what we're doing? Because we think we're doing okay. Type okay. Of so, Good. Good. Okay. Um, so with all that being said, um, yeah. what, what would be an example for you of uh, a tech company you've seen? Maybe it's one that's well known, maybe it's not. Uh, a, a company that you think, well, they, they've really nailed that go-to-market 
strategy, that plan, um, that, that you've, you've really acted on customer feedback um, and improved their strategy. Who, who do you admire for maybe something they've done? You've got any, any ideas around that? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I would say, who's somebody that I would say I, I admired that's done, gone through this? I, I would tell you, um, and this is, you know, I, I don't know if you consider Amazon a tech company. Mm. I mean, I, I consider them more of a, mm. you know, they, they use tech to enable things, but they are a tech company because they sure. have Amazon Web Services. Yes. And I would tell you that's probably one company to me that has kind of taken this idea of solving for the customer to a whole different level, right? Mm. I mean, arguably, you would say that, you know, if you think about this idea of, you know, a platform as a service or infrastructure as a service, you know, you would think like, for example, Google mm. is kind of the person that really <laughs> invented it. I mean, you know, using all, you know, their infrastructure mm. and cloud infrastructure to run applications and things like that. But Amazon mm. Web Services, to me, they kind of, you know, started out as they were basically, the Web Services was really their physical infrastructure to mm. do their bookstore and then their, their online stores mm. and, you know, et cetera. And then they suddenly created this really, really easy way for somebody to go out and all of a sudden get instant infrastructure at whatever scale you needed to, to be able to run your applications and you didn't have to have all these you know, worry about all these different open source softwares and all this other mm. sort of stuff. And then you could sit there and just, oh, okay, I want to spin up a new instance. Boom, you just click the button. And they really solved for the customer, right, in terms of doing that. And all of a sudden, look at, here's this online bookstore that is sitting here basically taking, whether it's the Microsofts, it's the Googles, it's the whoever, taking them to task. And now mm. they have a multi-billion dollar business that they created because they made it so easy for the customer to be, and in particular, they probably, you know, started out primarily working with, you know, smaller customers, you know, mid mm. market or SMB type of customers and tech customers, but all of a sudden mm. it just took off like a rocket. Mm. And it's because they solved for the customer, right? They made it really, really easy and they really understood the problem they were solving, which was how does a company that really thinks that they have an interesting business idea mm. or model that needs to be software enabled, but they don't want to go out and make this major investment in all this infrastructure. They just want to mm. have it as an operating expense and, and bring it up or bring it down as they would like. Mm. Ah, why don't we solve for that? And why don't we go ahead and start, you know, marketing and selling that? So yeah. that would be an example. Of yeah, definitely. Really good. It's, uh, it's yeah. hard not to be amazed by Amazon still, still, still to this day. You just, yeah, it's hard to comprehend. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and it, it's, it really is, it's the epitome of, there's an example of where they clearly probably didn't have the best technology in terms of physical mm. computing and network infrastructure and stuff like that. I mean, like I said, I would argue mm. the Googles of the world and people like that had that, but, mm. but look what they did. They really understood what problem they were solving for and they took off. Yeah, so. yeah sure. Okay. So, um, what, one of the things you, you mentioned before, um, and it's probably an obvious point, but yeah, pe people are obviously key. Yeah. You know, product product yeah. is important. Voice of customer is important. Uh, culture, everything else. But having the right people uh, is, is really key. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard you talk before about, about business athletes. What, what, what do you yeah. mean by that? A business athlete, yeah. So. Um, a business athlete is some, how I characterize people because I, I, I truly do believe that, you know, when, when all said and done, whether it's the strategies or the plans or who you target and all that sort of stuff, 
if you're not able to somehow enable these individuals and you don't have the right person in the right chair, it all mm. kind of goes for naught, right? Mm. And so I, I, this term of business athlete is really this idea of, of the person, it, regardless of what role you would put them in, like let's say they were in a field or a customer facing role, whether that's mm. sales or customer success or it's you know, mm. um, account manager, whatever it happens to be, right? Mm. They have um, some attributes about them that tells me that even if I put them into a role that wasn't necessarily exactly what they had been doing before, they will figure out how to make it successful. And so what does that mean, right? Mm. So a business athlete is somebody that number one has great business acumen. They really understand markets mm. and understand channels and how operations work in a business, right? Mm. Number two is they have what I call a results-oriented mindset, right? They have this ability to sit down and kind of put together what are their goals or objectives or plans and what they're going to, how they're going to execute and then track themselves and see how they're mm. doing because if they're sure. not doing okay, then they're going to have a plan to figure out how do I pivot and do something different, right? Mm. Um, they also have this, you know, what I call kind of a consultative type of capability within themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That they you know, are able to ask questions and kind of figure out how can I systematize whatever it is I'm mm -hmm. trying to do here or what's valuable to whoever it is I'm trying, whoever my customer is, whether it's an end customer or it's somebody internal or whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. They tend to be really good with respect to um, communication, whether mm -hmm. it's internal or external. They tend to have what I call a strategic mindset, which is the ability to understand, assess, and action strategy. Mm -hmm. And they tend to have a really good, um, what I call adaptability to change. They really have this unique, um, they, they don't get rattled and they kind of just sit there and mm -hmm. figure it out, like they problem solve. And they have the ability to change when things aren't going the way that they're supposed to be going. And as mm -hmm. you know, in startup companies, things are always changing, whether it's, awesome. you know, the customers, whether it's the markets, whether it's the products, whether it's who you work for, whatever it happens to be, right? It's just constant. Mm. Yeah. So those are kind of what I, those are the traits of what I consider to be mm. a business athlete. And like so it. It's really important for when you're in a startup company or any company, right? I always want to solve for that because I know that those types of individuals will be able to, you know, we'll put them in the right roles and they'll be able to add significant value. And I always try to hire people that are a heck of a lot smarter than me. So, cause I know if yeah. I do that, then we'll be wildly successful. Definitely. Definitely. That's good. I like it. Okay. Well, there's, what, there's one thing I wanted to ask you actually, we're, we're kind of <laughs> running towards the end and yeah. uh, over the, over the years that I, I've, I've helped you, you grow your teams. Um, yes. Candidates I speak to, always tell me um, that you ask some very tough questions at interview um, and, and some, some real, real kind of deep thinkers. So I'd like to know, um, what, what, what is it you ask these people? What are some of your favorite questions to ask in an interview that really help you assess if that person's right? And, and why do you ask those questions? So, so could, let's, have, okay. let's have an example. Okay, well, let me, let me, so I'll tell you why I asked the question. So, and, and you just kind of hit on it, which is, you know, when I'm speaking with candidates, you know, we have our process, our interview process and that sort mm. of thing. And I, I usually will trust that the hiring managers or, you know, other people mm. that have referred them or the recruiters or whatever it happens to be, right, um, are asking them the questions around how did they accomplish this or what did they accomplish or how do they do whatever their task is or role is or whatever happens so how and the what questions right mm. what i try to do is i try to get at the why 
because mm. what I've learned over doing this for a number of companies and a number of years is that mm. inevitably it's more about the why as to whether somebody's going to be successful or not, as opposed to the what they did or how you know what they accomplished or how they did it. Mm. And so that's kind of how I put together, you know, I'll call it the list of questions that I'm asking. So mm. I'll ask questions. I mean, in addition to things like, you know, hey, what do you think you're really good at professionally or something like that? But I ask them to give me a lot of things, not just like three or four. So, mm. but I'll ask things like, um, you know, so if you were suddenly to, you know, come across the windfall of money to where you were quote unquote financially independent, right? Um, you know, and I, I use the example of if you happen to have a lottery in your city or your county or your country or whatever it is, you know, if you won that, and then I just ask the question, I just simply say, well, what would you do? And then just let them go fire away, right? Mm. Or I'll ask questions um, like, hey, um, if you had the opportunity to speak to five individuals at any time in the history of the world, whether it's the past, it's the present mm. or the future, who would they be and why? Mm. And so, because it's not so much, I, I don't, I'm not really looking for, well, who was it, right, type of thing, because you can get all sorts of answers to that one. But mm. it's more about the why. Why is it that you would want to speak to that person? Or why is it that if you had all of a sudden were financially independent, why is it, you know, what is it that you would want to be doing and why? Mm. So, those are a couple yeah. examples uh, of the questions that I ask, and, and then there's several others, but it would probably yeah. take a long time to get through all. <laughs> I like it. Some good, some good questions there. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, we, we are pretty much out of time. So to finish up, I guess what I'd like to know, based on those questions, yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they must lead to so, some very uh, impromptu answers. So what, what, what's, what, what's, the, what's the strangest thing you've, you've heard in answer to one of those questions, or the funniest <laughs> thing you've, you've heard in answer to one of those? Yeah, so um, uh, in particular, the question I was talking about were if you had the opportunity to speak to five different, you know, mm. uh, people at any time in the history of the world. I, I, I'm almost kind of surprised that a lot of time people will, and they'll be very, very you know, it's like, I'm not even sure I should say this, but I will get people saying, I would like to speak to Adolf Hitler. And I'm kind of going, Adolf Hitler. And so, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And so, but when they explained to me why, because they, they kind of come back with this and I said, well, why Adolf Hitler? And they said, I just want to understand what in the heck was that guy thinking, you know, when he was going through whatever he was going through as a leader. And so that one to me is kind of an interesting answer to one of my questions. So yeah. anyway, so there's an example of kind okay. of a strange or an interesting like answer that. that I didn't see. Yeah. I like it. Well, well, there, there, there's a tip to take away, I guess, from, from this episode. <laughs> don't, don't discuss your admiration for, uh, for dictators in an interview, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, as a leadership style, I'm not sure everybody would be really on board with that. So. No, I don't think so. I think so. Listen, Pat, um, really appreciate your time uh, and all the insights. I, I've certainly learned a lot from you today. Um, so thanks very much for, for, for coming on. Um, yeah, really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me. And uh, hopefully some of this information is useful to other folks. And, uh, you know, right. if you need to uh, uh, any additional information on any of these topics, you know, feel free to reach out. Great. Thanks, Pat. Well, I hope everyone uh, has enjoyed listening to this episode um, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.